Welcome back to the Salty Beach. And let me just tell you, I am living up to that name. It pretty much sums me up for this week. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Are we in retrograde? Is there a full moon? I haven't checked, but something's happening because it's been a week and I feel like my patience is paper thin. But I digress. That is not why we're here. I think, you know, this is about my journey today. That took me forever to get out. I don't know what's happening. Um, but I do think that today we are going to start with me and my journey. Uh, maybe not my entire journey because I'm just going to, that's going to take a hot minute. It's, this is, that's, <laughs> that is not a quick and easy story to tell. Uh, and it just will take too long. So, we are going to do this in baby steps, my story in particular, but I also feel that as I talk to other people, as I start bringing other people onto the show, more of my story starts to come out because there's some back and forth in the similarities and things in the past, maybe from childhood, adulthood, all of these things start to like mesh together. So more of my story comes out, but I do want to give you guys uh, the the rundown and the overview for sure. I went back and forth for a while. I, I didn't really want to get into my journey first. I really wanted to dive in and have some other women really going in and telling their story. I have, I have people who've already volunteered to tell their story, who've already volunteered to want to be on the show with me. But when I thought about what I was asking people to do, it made me pause could I really ask people to relive their stories, to tell these stories without me being brave enough to put mine out there first? And for me, it just didn't seem right or fair. I know I was, I was really excited. I was gung-ho, really wanted to get started and have these other women come on. But it just, like I said, it just doesn't seem fair for me to ask that. So here we are with me. I also thought about having a co-host today, but I really just felt like I needed to get in there. I needed to be raw and I needed to be real with you guys. And that means me just sitting down with this mic and letting it, letting it out. So here we are and we're just going to get started. I begin, like I said, I don't think I need to tell my life story just yet. But there are so many things that happened in my particular storyline that formed me into this almost perfect candidate for a domestic abuse victim. It, it took me a long time to unravel this in therapy. And honestly, I could go to therapy for so many more years and still be unraveling the truths of my life. And I mean, who's with me on that? I... I have no qualms with therapy. Therapy helped me so much, but I feel like there's still so much that is left for me to kind of dig through and sort out. I don't know that I could ever officially be done with therapy, but basically you start to see your life taking shape and there was no course correction on my part, which I feel like is how I landed where I did. And I was a part of the things that I experienced because I didn't course correct uh, 
I don't want to blame it on anybody else in my life. And it started when I was young. So I also feel like maybe had I been honest with some of the adults in my life, maybe they could have helped me course correct. But it's neither here nor there because it, it is what it is. What happened, happened. But it's even from the time that I was young, I was super anxious and I was a first child. I was a people pleaser. You know, I was diagnosed with anxiety at five in kindergarten. I had issues. My teacher noticed it. My mom took me to the doctor and I was diagnosed with anxiety. So basically I became this people pleasing bundle of nerves with a hero complex that I thought it was my job to save any, any and everyone. Um, it's interesting because you start to see all of these personality traits that are a part of you, but also are developed because of situational and environmental things that really kind of take those personality traits and bring them to the forefront instead of pushing them backwards. And that's kind of what happened to me. So my first relationship was, it was anything but healthy. And more than a 15 through 17 year old should have taken on, but I did. And that, even though I knew in my head it wasn't normal and wasn't how I deserved to be treated, I almost used that as the marker of normalcy of a relationship and determined my value based on that, which honestly was none. Like I, I determined my value was nothing. <laughs> there was zero self-esteem at that point in my life because of all of the things that had happened up until that point. Until the relationship, I had already been dealing with, like I said, the anxiety. There was depression. I Again, that was all through middle school. I was really constantly stressed out. I was always trying to be this perfect child who did everything right. And that is just not normal. You just are... I didn't learn that until adulthood. You just... Mm. You can never be perfect uh, but I tried so hard to be perfect. I tried so hard to never do anything wrong. I tried so hard to never get in trouble. I wanted to be this picture of straight A's, always made good choices, always did the right thing, always helped other people. If it was asked, it didn't matter how overwhelmed I became. I took on other people's problems. Uh, again, I didn't, I didn't learn the word empath until I was so much older. I didn't know or understand what I was feeling or how I was feeling when adults in my life or other kids at the time in my life were stressed. I was taking on all of their emotions all the time and I was constantly overwhelmed and I didn't know what to do with any of that. So that was prior to my first relationship and I had already felt like I was so much more aware of the world at this point than some of the people that I was around. Uh, there were already some things that had happened to me up until that point that made me a little jaded and untrusting. But in the relationship, I started dealing with the lies 
there was drug and alcohol abuse by him. There was cheating. It was constantly being told things like, uh, you know, you wouldn't have friends without me. No one would want you around if it weren't for me. But the hardest part was the feeling of knowing I was being mistreated and trying to leave, but being manipulated back into the situation with the suicide threats of, well, that would be your fault. That's a lot to take on for a teenager who's 15, 16, 17. And it became this unhealthy balance of me feeling like I needed to stay in order to keep that person alive. Like if I could just be a better girlfriend, if I could just pray harder for him, then everything would be all right. And he would love me more and he would treat me better. FYI, that's never the case. Ladies, that is never the case. Gentlemen, that is never the case. <laughs> Don't, do not get wrapped up in that cyclical journey of feeling like if you could do it better, they would be better to you. Don't do that. But the final straw was the conversation where he had gotten someone else pregnant and was going to marry her. That ended the back and forth of that relationship for good. But I will say it left some really deep wounds for a teenager on top of the other things that I had experienced up until that point, that, you know, two over two year back and forth relationship really left some scars and damage and self-esteem issues and feeling like no one, I didn't deserve to be loved. Um, but I went off after that and decided to have some fun for the remainder of my senior year before college. All I wanted to do was enjoy my extremely easy semester I had lined up for myself and hang out with friends. That was the the main goal of the rest of my senior year. I happened to meet someone that was the total opposite of my ex. And I was like, you know what? Why not? I'm in a phase of having fun the remainder of my senior year. Let's just give this a shot. And from the get-go, I said this is just for fun because I had all of these big plans and dreams. And honestly, so did he. And it was never meant to be anything long-term. But <laughs> despite being cautious, I found myself pregnant it, I was a pregnant teenager, a uh, senior in high school, walking the stage with this baby bump. And soon to follow was the expectation of this very small town life that we get married uh, because that's what you do, right? And even though it was completely the wrong choice, uh, we both knew it wouldn't work. I was still an 18-year-old people-pleasing girl who didn't know how to make decisions for herself and I didn't know how to say no. I also was terrified to disappoint people. So can you guess what happened? <laughs> yeah, it, it was a marriage that did not work and I was divorced a year and a half later. Me and this baby just trying to ration food to make it through the week shoes with holes in them, no furniture except a bean bag and the TV that was in my son's room that we pulled out into the living room. It was a difficult point. 
I was young and there were days when I only had enough food for him to eat and I went hungry. And there is something about the feeling of knowing you cannot eat because it would mean your son or your child wouldn't have food for the rest of the week. So you just, you leave it for him. But along with the people pleasing, I, I'm fiercely independent. And some, sometimes that means to the point of starvation in this case. It, that, and that may be an extreme word, but it was drastic. That's how fiercely independent I am. And it, it is really something that I am trying hard to work on now at this point because I can see that asking for help probably should be something that's in my vocabulary but it is still so hard for me and again that goes back to childhood for me I didn't ask for help I did it all by myself and because I started that at such a young age there were expectations of she doesn't need the help because she can do it by herself she's always done that and that followed me all the way up so I just never did and I never learned how to ask for help or accept help so at that point in my life I was struggling I was refusing to ask for help and I was just trying to make it day by day during all of that along came this in my eyes at the time this knight in shining armor I was 21 with a two-year-old, I was divorced, and this man came into the picture and just seemed to swoop in and solve all of my problems. He would randomly show up at my doorstep with bags and bags of groceries, and when I say groceries, I mean like name brand, things that I never would buy for myself, but it would just be armloads of groceries. And leave them at my door. Um, And not because he was asked to do that. Obviously, uh, I didn't ask for that. uh, Because I wouldn't even know how to ask for help. Um, We just talked about that. But he, he, you know, he wasn't asked. He would just uh, be observant. I wouldn't mention anything. I didn't talk about my issues. He would just happen to be around And he was observant enough to notice there were no groceries or observant enough to notice my kid was walking around with with holes in his shoes. Uh, So he would buy my son shoes and clothes because he would see that they were worn out. And he'd just show up with it. Almost like he could see the weight I was carrying and knew I'd never ask for help. And he would just come in and fix it all for me. And... Hook, line, and sinker, I bought into that because it was like, oh my goodness, somebody understands me, understands that I'm never going to ask for help, but he's trying to solve my problems. And I was young and I was vulnerable and only wanted to see the good and that maybe I could finally give my son a better life. I pushed all of these red flags that I saw, I pushed them all to the background because every time I saw my son happy or with his, 
with his box of dino nuggets or goldfish or these name brand foods. And he seemed happy to have a man around who would play with him and, you know, kind of like a rough house with him or take him outside or even be fully fed. You know, I would see these things and there was this glimmer of hope that, okay, maybe things are going to be okay. Maybe things are finally going to be all right. And I started to push all of these red flags that I began noticing. Again, not at the beginning. At the beginning, it was this all-encompassing feeling of safety almost. It's hard to describe when you're young and in the throes of having very little money and you have somebody who will come in and treat your son kindly and do things with him and kind of come in where his dad was lacking. This other man came in and kind of filled in that gap and took care of him and also took care of you. And honestly, for once, it felt nice to be taken care of. I had spent my life taking care of other people and it felt like, okay, this is it. Maybe I can breathe. Maybe I can actually have this happy ever after because he's going to provide that for me. He's going to give me this feeling of safety and being taken care of. Long story short, our dating phase did not last very long. It, definitely not as long as it should have. Red flags began popping up, I would say, toward the end of the dating phase. He proposed relatively quickly. Before a year, uh, he was proposing. And part of me looking back realizes, okay, there was only so long he was willing to put that facade out there and so only so long that he could do that and he needed to kind of seal the deal so the proposal came extremely quick and like I said the red flags didn't start until the very end of that and it was just a few and I pushed them down I started I started to recognize them I started to push back a little bit and I noticed the more that I would push back he would get angry and it would all of a sudden flip to being about me what I had done, or maybe I had triggered him, or well, maybe I'm the one doing that because I'm bringing it up to him. And there was a lot of gaslighting. And again, looking back, I can see it all very clearly now. I could not see it then. It was me trying to understand him and trying to be a good girlfriend and work things out. I didn't realize that it was somebody who was unwilling to do the same back. So I can see the manipulative, narcissistic cycle began at the very tail end of dating right before the marriage. As soon as the marriage happened, it was a switch. And everything shifted and changed. And shortly after... I was fired from my job. He would show up. I was told to not have him come by. He would come by to make sure I was there. 
there were things I would go to lunch and and tell him I went to lunch he didn't believe me so he would leave his job and come and sit in the parking lot and watch every move that I made I was told at work to have him stop coming and stop showing up when they would see his truck or they would see him in the vicinity uh, he was being disruptive to work uh, he would call my place of work uh, and fight and argue with me uh, telling me that I was a liar that I had done all of these things and again it was just <laughs> the most bizarre extreme thing I had ever experienced in my like I was talking about in my relationship as a teenager there were some uh, you know abusive tactic ta- sorry abusive tactics used I didn't recognize them at the time but I can see them now for what they were. This was a whole other level of mental and verbal abuse that began. And I was so on edge for those. I kept that job for another couple of years after I got married to him. But that was really all I could manage to do. I got fired because of what he was doing. He was constantly showing up. It was the constant arguments. It was the constant, uh, you know, being around and stalking and not believing anything that I was saying or anything that I was doing. So he had to follow me. Um, so like I said, I got, I got fired. And then after that, there was no more working for me. And that was a, really hard time because I had to financially depend on this person. Um, after that things, I will say that things were very strained and physical as well as definitely verbal, emotional abuse constantly. But the fights and the arguments were all the time. It was, you constantly felt like you couldn't do anything right. You were walking on eggshells to try to make this person happy and please this person. But it was like, there was nothing you could do that was right. If you, if, but let me just tell you, if they did something, anything, even minor, and you did not put up a billboard on their behalf, (laughs) um, telling them what an amazing person they are, then you didn't appreciate them enough. And then you would pay for that as well. So there was just, you were constantly in this war zone with somebody. But I will say that after the, after losing my job and not having a form of income, things really, really heightened. And the physical heightened so much. There was, he was drinking all the time. There was control of the money in a way that I would get an allowance, quote unquote allowance, I say that, um, for the groceries or household products every week out of the check. And that's what I would have to use to spend. There were all of these expectations. And if you didn't meet everything, then there was just so much hate and anger And all of the things that he would say, just like I can, I am talking about it right now and I can still hear them in my head, just the vile things that were said about me, to me, 
the names that were called and you just look at this person who, you know, is falling over drunk all the time and the way that they're treating you, the way that they're talking to you, the fact that they will get so angry about the smallest thing and you just never know how your life and how your day is going to go. You don't know who's coming home after work. So you're prepping the kids, you're prepping yourself, you're making sure the house is clean, you're making sure there's a four-course meal on the table, you're making sure the kids are quiet and in their rooms because I, you just never know who's going to walk through the door. Is it going to be somebody who's nice and kind? Are you in that cycle of the I'm sorry's and I'll never do it again type of phase where they're super sweet to you or are we cycling back around to the you never do anything right let me call you every name under the book. Let me cuss you out and tell you everything that you are doing wrong. And then by the end of the night, it's physical. And you're trying your best to tiptoe around the situation and gauge his mood before he gets home. That life is exhausting. And I will say I, I, was, I was in this for nine years before I could get out. I tried four different times to leave. Uh, the first time was terrible. It was a horrible experience. I was not at all prepared for what was going to come. The second time I thought I was a little more prepared. There were, uh, I called the police. I, I was 100% sure that I was not going to live that night. And he was arrested, there were charges, but I wasn't, I wasn't ready. I wasn't prepared for the threats. I still in my mind thought I can gauge his mood and what he might do while I'm with him. But if I leave and can't be around him I can't talk to him it means that I don't know where he stands and at least if I'm here I can try to protect myself and my kids if I leave what happens if he ambushes me what happens if I don't see it coming can I protect myself so I went back uh, I tried the third time again went back there are statistics, you can read them on how many times it takes a woman to try to leave a domestic abuse situation. It's a lot. And you don't really know what to prepare yourself for until you've, you've tried to go through it. You've tried to memorize phone numbers in your phone because you can't have anything in your phone. You can't keep papers in your purse or brochures. I remember one time going to the health department after I had my daughter and trying to tell them on the evaluation on the uh, you know they give you the papers to fill out before your appointments to gauge you know your emotional health and all of those things I think it's called a review of systems so I filled that out and on that paperwork I said that I was being physically abused and before I left they sat me down with a counselor in her office and the counselor, all that she told me was it will be difficult to leave and I, I can't really help you 
the only thing I can tell you to do is take these brochures, read them, uh, but don't save them. Throw them in the trash on your way out. They give us these brochures to hand out to people, but they really don't take into consideration that you can't keep these. You can't take these home. They think that these are going to help, but they really don't because you can't keep a phone number. They're going to go through your phone. You can't keep a piece of paper in your purse because they're going to go through your purse. They, it's not, the world really isn't set up for abuse victims. So the counselor told me, memorize these phone numbers so that you can try to get help. Try to squirrel away money when you can so that when you are ready to leave, you'll have at least a month's worth of money to pay bills. Um, so that's, that's what I did. I, I memorized numbers and I tried to stash a little bit of money from every quote unquote allowance that I got every week and set it back just in case one day I could possibly get out. And it was New Year's Eve. And I remember the, the moment that it sunk in that I or my children are going to be hurt if I stay or won't be alive versus if I leave, maybe he might kill me or my kids, but I know for sure he will if I stay. So the knowledge of the maybe started to outweigh the for sure of it will happen if you stay here because my son got to an age where he was there that night and he got in between us and I knew in that moment there's only so much longer my son's going to be able to be in this situation and not want to do something and he's going to get hurt so that sparked a up until that point I had been able to lock the kids away in the room and thought okay I I am trying to take the brunt of all of the anger so that they don't have to and I knew for sure this is not how this is going to end. It's not going to end with it just being me. And if I stay, it's getting worse and worse and worse until eventually this is going to end tragically. So we, that was the year that we, that we finished. I knew like I have to be done. I have to get out of this situation and so we did. And it, it has been a journey ever since. That was in 2015. It's 2022. And I will say this has been the hardest seven years of my life. <laughs> and I say that because there's just so much about this journey that you don't anticipate. And every time you think you've turned a corner and you're getting better, there's something that will like sneak up and trigger an emotion and you got to kind of relive it and go through it again. I will say the longer I go, the easier that gets to handle. But even trying to get into a new relationship, 
uh, like the one I'm in now. Luckily, I'm with somebody who is so incredibly patient with me and he knows my entire story and my whole journey. But boy, does that help having somebody who understands. And I'm not saying that it's easy for him, but he can kind of take on this emotional baggage that I'm left with in dealing with even health issues that I'm still dealing with because of some of the physical stuff that happened. I will say the emotional damage way, way, way worse than the physical damage that remains. Uh, I can tolerate scars and some of the physical things that I'm left with, but the emotional stuff was so much harder for me to maneuver through. Like I said, I was in therapy. There was a lot of medication, especially at the beginning, to try to numb out some of the uh, triggers and numb out some of the panic attacks and anxiety attacks that I was having, the social anxiety that I was having trying to be around people, especially large groups of people there for a long time. I wouldn't even ride in a car with somebody else and go somewhere. I had to take my own car because I needed an escape. If I wanted to leave, I wanted to be able to get in my car and leave. So I wouldn't even ride with people that I trusted to take me anywhere. I had severe PTSD um, and trauma from trying to get through that portion in my life on top of trying to make sure my kids were taken care of and they were emotionally okay. So that has been the hardest part of the journey because getting out is the beginning, but there's so much more that you have to go through. And I feel like you have to find a support group that can help you and that understands what you're going through, which is what I hope that we're building here. I hope we're developing that here because that's what I want. I want people to see there is hope on the other side and it does get better and you can find love or not, whatever, if you want to be alone for the rest of your life and you find happiness in whatever your life looks like. That's okay. There is no standard. There is no, you have to do this. You have to do that in order to have a fulfilled life. I think a fulfilled life is whatever you view it as. It can be whatever it looks like at that moment in your life. It doesn't have to be made up by, by, you know, the love of your life or, you know, all of these other things. You make that whatever you want it to be. But I feel like you have to find a tribe. You have to find a group of people to support you, to push through this with you, to have your back when you're having bad days, to let you know that it's okay. You are strong, you are resilient, and you've got this. You can make your life beautiful. It can be amazing. You have that in you. And I think that's what it takes to get over to the other side. So that is the shortened version, even though this is, I don't feel like this is going to be a short podcast. That's the shortened version because I didn't even go into detail about anything that happened to me. But that's the shortened version of my story, of my life. And I'm so glad that I got to tell you guys about it. And I'm so glad that we have this open platform to be able to talk about these really hard and difficult things. And the point is, I want to get in depth. I want to dig deep. I want to hear stories and build a community of these amazing people 
who are either trying their best to get out. Like I said, I know how hard it is. I know you can't keep things on your search engine, your search bar. Like there are so many things that you have to try to keep to yourself and it's a lot to keep in your mind. So maybe this is a way for you to be able to come in, plug in, hear other women and try to gain some courage from that. Because again, I also know how long you have to pre-plan sometimes to make that escape and you have to put a smile on your face and pretend like it's all okay so that they don't catch on or they don't feel like there's something on the other side. So I also want this to be a place for the people who were like I was a few years ago and just, oh my gosh, how in the world am I going to make it through all of this emotional damage that has left me like crippling anxiety uh, to the place that I am now where again nothing's perfect I'm not perfect and I I don't know that you can ever be 100% healed from anything that you've gone through in life any type of trauma but hopefully we have this beautiful amazing life ahead of us and we've we've forged this new new path in our lives so I'm glad you guys are sticking with me I'm glad you guys are here with me And I hope we have many, 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 many more episodes of this, of this group that we're going to build together. And I hope, I hope to have more people on maybe next week. Fingers crossed. I do have a busy week coming up, so we may do something different next week. But I have so many plans for this podcast and, and this show in general. And I'm just glad that I get to share it all with you guys. All right, you guys, we're going to wrap it up. We're going to finish up. I think that this is a a long podcast. I don't even know how long I've been recording for, but we'll go more in depth at another time. And as we start interviewing, like I said, I feel like more of my story will start to come out and you guys will start to hear more and more details about things as we start talking with other people. But for the time being, I hope everybody has an amazing week and I will see you guys talk to you guys, I guess, uh, next Tuesday. But until then, stay salty.